Hi, everyone. This is Todd Fuller with MSTA Presents. And today we have a very special guest. Philip Doan is a retired classroom teacher and author of The Art of Teaching Children. Uh, Mr. Doan was interviewed last week on the Today Show, and even in retirement, he seems to be as busy as ever during this back-to-school time of years. Mr. Doan, thank you for joining me and taking time today to uh, talk a little bit about your book. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. I know that you've been retired from the classroom for a, a few years, but it seems like uh, you may be as busy as ever. And that's the story we hear often from our retired members uh, at MSTA. Absolutely. And uh, as you mentioned, my new book, The Art of Teaching Children, just came out a few weeks ago. And so, boy, did I hit the ground running for that because, <laughs> you know, a lot of people want me on podcasts such as yours and uh, interviews on TV and radio, but it's terrific because we're getting the word out to help teachers. Well, and it's, it's of course, a timely topic, especially for our members. This is a year where things seem more normal than they have for the last two years. So there's a lot of energy and excitement on behalf of our teachers. So that's why we thought this was an ideal place to, to start is, is with your book for our podcast. And I wanted to begin talking a little bit about uh, finding out from you why you went into to teaching in the first place. Everybody has a story, and I, I assume you do as well. Well, you're right. Everybody has a story. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher in third grade. I had the greatest third grade teacher. Her name was Miss Greco. And I wanted to be just like her. I've known since I was eight years old. And I would even come home and play school with my family members and my friends and it's funny because I, I've talked to a lot about teachers, about what brought them into teaching or what called them into teaching. And that, that is one consistent theme. Elementary school teachers all played school when they were young. <laughs> and so I, it really, it's, it's a common thread. You ask anybody in a staff room, you know, did you play school? And all the hands will go up. And uh, so I knew early on. And in fact, I, tell, I would tell my parents a back to school night. Mainly I taught third, fourth, fifth grade. That was my niche. But I would always, at back to school night, tell my parents or ask my parents, you know, how many of your kids play school? And, you know, hands would go up and I would just smile and say, you know, your kids will probably end up being teachers one day. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a wonderful teacher who just inspired me. And then I had other teachers along the way who were greatly inspirational. And so I was one of those who knew early on that I wanted to be a teacher. Was she the reason that you went into to teaching elementary school or was it that you, you felt like you could connect with that, that age group or what, what drew you to elementary school? That's, that's a really good question. And I don't really, I don't think I've really thought hard about that. She absolutely was the reason I wanted to be a teacher. And then when I was doing my training, uh, my teacher training, you know, you kind of think about, oh, you know, what would it like to teach kindergarten or pre, you know, primary grades or upper elementary. I knew I wanted to teach elementary okay. and uh, for some reason, and I don't know if it was because of her, but that's really a good question. It okay. could have been because of her. It really could have. And I've always loved uh, third, fourth, and fifth. You know, any, anybody listening will attest to the fact that third, fourth grade is just the perfect age because they can do so much more than the little ones. And they're not quite as sassy as the, well, they're not sassy like the old ones can be. Mm -hmm. And um, they still just love the teacher and love school. And so I find third and fourth just the ideal age to teach. It, 
it's funny because you talk to any of our members and they, they all find their place, whether it's middle school mm -hmm. or high school. And, and they may listen to you and go, well, I can't imagine I'm an eighth grade teacher. And you say to them, yeah, I can't imagine that either. So I, I always find exactly. it interesting. And I do too. I really do. I find it so interesting that everybody has their niche. You know, I admire those kindergarten teachers so much, especially the first, mm -hmm. first day of school. And I so respect those first grade teachers. I, in my book, uh, the first grade teachers have the hardest job of all because that's the year they're teaching them how to read. And, you know, I admire those middle school teachers as well, you know, what they have to deal with. And so I, um, I, I find it fascinating as well that, you know, everybody has their little pocket um, that they love to teach. One thing I really enjoy about about um, the art of teaching children is um, it, it's story driven. Um, and if as, if somebody once somebody gets the chance to read the book, they'll understand what I mean by that. And you know, every industry business has their stories. My wife is a home health physical therapist. You can imagine the story she tells. Um, your book yes. is filled with with stories. It was. Was it one of those situations where you, I'm sure you've told these stories to families and family and friends and did, was it one of those situations where they said, you know what, uh, Phil, Philip, you, you need to write these down or, or did you know that you were going to put this book together um, over the course of, of your teaching tenure? Well, here's how it worked. I had written two other books about teaching. Uh, my first book was called 32 Third Graders and One Class Funny, and that came out about 20 years ago. And then I had another teacher book. And uh, when I retired from the classroom about three years ago, after 33 years of teaching elementary, I knew I wanted to write another book, but I wasn't sure exactly what my spin would be. And I thought good and hard about it. And I thought, okay, if I were a teacher today, particularly a new teacher, what would give me the most value? What would be the most beneficial? Mm -hmm. And, and then I, I realized, you know, it's, why don't I just write up from the perspective of a retired teacher and share everything I have learned, uh, over my 33 year career. And once, once I had that focus, then it was easy to write. And to your point about stories, I knew that I needed to include lots of those classroom stories, the heartwarming ones and the funny ones and the, the ones that make you think uh, because uh, stories are such a good way to illustrate a point, of course. Uh, and everybody wants the stories. I've done lots of radio interviews and TV interviews. And it's so funny because inevitably the host will say, hey, you know, can you tell us one of your stories? It, I find that fascinating that mm -hmm. people who aren't in education really want the peak inside the classroom. And, you know, any, any teacher who's done it for a while has oodles of stories. Now I'll tell you one other thing to your point about stories. I was encouraged in my very early years of teaching by a mentor teacher to jot down some of my stories. And I'm so glad I did. And I recommend that for your new teachers who are listening. Um, keep a teacher journal. Uh, you don't have to write a lot, but when the kids say something cute or charming or funny, just make a little note of it. And I'm so glad I did because I was able to go back and look at those little anecdotes and, and use them. But another reason to have a journal like that is it really helps you stay in the game. 
uh, on those hard days, and we all have them, you mm-hmm. can go back to your journal and you know, be reminded of why you chose to go into the profession. I have a friend who, uh, who calls her teacher journal her why journal because okay. it reminds her of why she went into teaching. And, and if you're not keeping track of those stories, I mean, they can get away from you. You might think, oh, I'll remember that. I'll write it down in a week or so. And before you know it, a month has gone by. So that the idea, that advice of trying to be consistent and uh, and doing it in the moment, I think, is is helpful and, and important. You're um, absolutely right. And you, you do think you're going to remember and you don't. And there was there was a year or two in there where I would even tell my kids I was writing things down. Uh, but then I stopped doing that because I had one kid who was just who just wanted to get in that teacher journal. So it started even acting up so that I would put the stories <laughs> in the journal. So, you know, so keep the journal, but you don't announce it to your little ones. Yes. <laughs> they, they want a whole chapter to themselves, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> this child's name was Ricky. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to talk um, specifically about a few of the chapters um, that sure. that I think are all the chapters I enjoyed. Spoiler alert: This I'm reviewing the book for our uh, fall issue of our magazine, School and Community. I enjoyed it a, a great deal. Um, but sure. there were Thank a few you. chapters that I think are helpful this time of year, um, and one of them <laughs> is the the chapter the the only perfect moment because I'd never thought of it that way, um, and uh, I, I, I like. Yeah. <laughs> you you know, of course, what I'm talking about. You wrote it. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more, though, for those who haven't read the book yet, what you mean about that, the, the perfect moment. Yes. Early in the book, I write the chapter, as you just described, called The Only Perfect Moment. And it is about that moment before the f- kids come in on the first day of school, where everything in your room is just perfect. You know, and all your listeners know that teachers spend weeks getting ready for the first day of school. You're just making that classroom lovely and perfect. You know, the walls are done. The bulletin board paper is new. The supplies are on the kids' desks. The desks are clean. Everything's orderly. Everything's beautiful. All the markers are in the right place. All the books are in the right place. All the markers work. And (laughs) I call that the only perfect moment because you've you've worked so hard to make it this way and from the minute you open that door it it will never be that way again you know learning is messy it's not Mm -hmm. linear learning is messy and the classrooms are messy and there's stuff on the floor and piles on the counters and piles in the closet (laughs) and so what i say is what i recommend in the book and i would recommend to your audience listeners right now is Right before the first day of school, right before the kids come in, spend a little time in your classroom alone and just enjoy that moment because you've worked so hard to make it that way and it will never be that way again. <laughs> so enjoy <laughs> it, savor it. That That is one of our favorite as, as association employees. Um, we, of course, don't get to be in the classroom. So we we enjoy vicariously watching um, our members post on our, our page. They will post the, their room before anything happens, before students are there. And so we have this running tally of, of uh, classrooms and it's 
so exciting. It gets us excited for the year. We look forward to seeing those um, every time they oh, get great. posted at the beginning of the school year. Great. Um, great. I, I, also, the the melt. I, I really want to talk about the the melt concept, the the chapter melt. Yeah. I think that that is um, something that I don't know if everybody has a definition for it. But once you describe it, they'll say, "Oh yeah, that's that's a good definition." Yeah. Can do you do you mind talking Boy, a little bit about those melt moments? Sure, you're picking a few of my favorites too. Good. Um, the, the, yeah, you really are. Um, so the chapter you're referring to called melt. Uh, refers to melt moments. And any teacher listening will absolutely understand what I'm saying and it will resonate with them. You know, I always say that teachers don't make, you know, the big money, of course, and we don't get the stock options and we don't get the bonuses or the company cars. But the rewards we do get are melt moments. And these are the moments that absolutely make your job so worthwhile, so fulfilling. And they're the moments with the children. Uh, these are the heart, you know, it's when you're interacting with a child and you just have this heartwarming, precious little interaction. And um, uh, let, let me give you an example. Let me give sure. your audience a melt moment. Yeah. Um, and your listeners will totally understand this because we all have them. And again, you know, they happen and, and you might not write them down, but I also, I also believe in writing these down because melt moments don't come all the time. And uh, it's important, I believe, to really spend a little time with that moment and reflect on it and acknowledge it because you know, they are few and far between. And um, holding on to those, it also helps you stay in the game and it, it helps prevent burnout. So let me give you one. Um, this happened in my last year of teaching. Um, I had a darling student named Gobby. I was teaching third grade. And Gobby was the type of student who just absolutely loved all of her teachers. And she had no problem telling them how much she loved them. And she would leave little notes around my room all the time, you know, saying, you know, on sticky notes, you know, I love you, Mr. Dome, but clean your desk and stuff like that. I mean, she just <laughs> had no problem saying she loved me. Okay, so one day we're in class and I'm working at a table with some kids and Gobby's with her little friend up at the whiteboard doing some work. And I turned to the board and there in huge black letters on the whiteboard, it says, we love you, Mr. Dome. And I thought, oh, that's lovely. And I, I, I thanked Gobby, but then I needed to use the board. And I walked over and I started erasing that because I needed the board and it wouldn't come off. And I realized immediately she had used a permanent marker. So I turned to her and I said, Gabby, you know, thank you so much, but honey, you use the permanent marker. And this little girl, without missing a beat, said, then our love for you will last forever. <laughs> oh, I it's, just melted. <laughs> I just, hard to be angry with I something like melted. that. Yeah. And so that's what I mean by a melt moment. So it's those precious moments you have with children and you know teachers teachers don't require a lot but you know those those are those melt moments are what keep us in the game really and, and you know i i i think that translates beyond elementary school and that kind of goes along with the next question i was going to ask you i i teach on the college level now and uh 
Believe ah. it or not, there are melt moments even on the collegiate level with students. Um, there are things that happened and, and I wasn't able to really define them. There were some things that happened last spring and I wasn't able to really define or articulate what that made, how that made me feel until I read the chapter. But the, the question I was going to ask is, you know, the, the melt moments translate regardless of the, the grade that you're teaching. And a lot of the stories, even though they are your stories and you were an elementary school teacher, they translate beyond elementary school. I mean, did you have that thought in mind as you wrote them? Did you say, well, this only elementary teachers are going to like this? Or did you, did you recognize, and I believe this to be the case, that teachers of all grades can identify and get something of value from your book? Uh, good question. I absolutely recognized it because you're right. These stories transcend all grade levels. Uh, I have heard from many middle school and high school teachers who say, you know, just what you did. You know, I have my melt moments too. And, you know, high schoolers are not that much different than third graders. No. <laughs> and so, yes, I had that in mind. And I knew that from my first book as well, that though, though my focus is on elementary teachers because the book really is for elementary school teachers and parents of grade school children. Um, there's great value in that for anybody who, who works with uh, youngsters and children and um, is, is um, focused on their learning and improving learning. And I wanted to bring up one other point that I've just kind of realized in the last few weeks. I wrote it for teachers and parents to help teachers and parents. Mm -hmm. But what I'm learning is that it's really resonating with people who are not necessarily grade school teachers or parents, uh, people who work uh, with children in other contexts. Um, I'm hearing from piano teachers. I'm hearing from tennis coaches. I'm hearing from Sunday school teachers and den mothers. It's really for anybody who works with kids and values learning and wants to better their, their interactions with children. Mm -hmm. The main focus of the book was to help those who work with children so that you can ultimately uh, better children's learning. So that was the big surprise for me is that, wow, it, it resonates with a broader audience than I had, uh, than I had originally uh, thought it would. I, I saw that as I read the book. And in fact, that's a part of my review is that it, you don't have to be a school teacher to get something of value from this book and something that will help you uh, interact with kids, regardless of, mm -hmm. of whether it's your own kids or other kids that you work with as a coach or a music teacher, um, whatever it may be. And I, I see that. I just, yeah, absolutely, Todd. And I just got a message recently from a manager of a big Silicon Valley company who said that she was reading this to some colleagues over the water cooler because so many of the lessons apply to her work, her work life. And mm -hmm. then she added, you know, that, you know, grownups aren't that different than third graders, which I thought was funny, but um, I agree with you. And, and, and that was a nice surprise. I, I've often said when I taught freshmen in college that it was sometimes like being with kindergartners. They like to watch cartoons all over again. They like to eat cereal for yeah. all meals and they like to take naps because they got to do it all over again at one in the afternoon. Um, so yeah, uh, there are lots of similarities there. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I we're you know kind of wrapping up, uh, and I appreciate the time, Mr. Don. Thank you very much for being willing to to talk with me today. I know that our members are oh, going to happy appreciate. Happy to do it. Happy to I, do it. Thank you. You know, I, I I we're headed back. This is the week in Missouri, at least, when everyone heads back to school. In fact, yesterday there were some some school districts that went back to session. Today is the big day, um, where the majority ah. of schools are back in session today and tomorrow. So lots of uh, part of one of your other chapters, lots of uh, that teacher tired, uh, they will be experiencing over the course of the next couple of days. I was wondering though, oh, yeah. as we finish up here, if you, if there were some ideas or advice that you could share with them to help them get that their year started off on the right foot. Absolutely. So let me, um, let me address uh, both uh, your teachers and also I'll throw something out there for parents as well. So um, uh, let me let me start with p- the parents uh, that are listening. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I could give at this time of the year, as we're all going back to school, is to um, think differently about back to school night. When parents go to back to school night, of course, they go for two reasons, to meet the teacher and to find out about the school year. I suggest that they also go for another reason, and it's this to encourage the child's teacher. You know, as you know, when you have back to school night, most parents just get up and leave after the presentation. Very few come up and talk to the teacher. So I'm suggesting that if you're a parent, you've just listened to that back to school night presentation that that teacher has worked very hard to prepare for. Mm -hmm. Go up to the teacher and say something positive. Say something like, oh my gosh, your room looks great. Or, oh, I wish I could be a, a... student in your classroom, something positive. Believe me, because it's so rare, that teacher will never forget it. And it is a terrific way to start the year off right. Mm-hmm. I, I could not recommend it highly and uh, more highly. And um, uh, and that's something we can all do in the next few weeks as we have back to school nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for your teachers that are listening, your veteran teachers will absolutely agree with what I'm about to say. As the school year starts, I firmly believe that we need to focus on the relationships with the children. Children learn best, as we all know, if they feel cared for. So focus on what I call in the book, the fourth R, rapport, reading, writing, arithmetic, and rapport. You cannot teach the first three effectively without having the fourth R which is rapport. So focus on those relationships in the beginning of the year. In addition, of course, to your, your classroom management and your procedures, that's all important too. But very important is to focus on relationships. So how do we do that? How do we focus on relationships in a practical way? And this is a practical tip for your listeners, especially your new, your new teachers. Mm-hmm. Express a genuine interest in the children. Take the time to ask the kids specific questions about their lives. And this could be at the door or during a break or over their shoulder when you're working in a small group or whatever. And, that, and here's some suggestions. You know, how was your ballet recital? How did your soccer game go yesterday? Um, you know, I, your piano lesson's coming up. Are you ready? You know, that kind of question. It can make a huge difference. And I'll tell you one of the best questions to ask a child if you want to establish very quick rapport. And you might laugh, 
but all your listeners will nod their heads. And that is to ask them about their pets. Okay. Children love to talk about their animals. In fact, any primary teacher listening will know that if you bring up a pet with a child on the reading rug, every child in your classroom will start talking about his or her, his or her animal at the same time. It always happens. They absolutely love to talk about their animals. And if you do, if you bring up their pets, they will love you instantly and they will love you forever. So a practical tip, <laughs> relationships, and if you want to get there quickly, bring up their animals. I, I love that. I mean, that idea about engagement and uh, it's I, to, to get them listening, paying attention, engaged, but also I appreciate the tip uh, for parents. I think that um, you're, you're absolutely right. That is one of the things that uh, teachers don't hear often is uh, just direct compliment about classroom, about the just start about starting, talk about starting off on the right foot. I think that that kind yes. of comment would do it. Absolutely. And it's, it's so easy, but to be honest, parents don't even think about it, but it really is important. Do you mind if I share just one other? Oh, tip please do. Please do. Valuable? Okay, great. Because um, I, I get asked all the time, what's your top tip for parents? And uh, again, your teachers, and I know you have a huge swath of teachers listening, but your teachers will all you know, shout amen when they hear this. Okay, <laughs> this is my number one tip for parents, it, for establishing relationships with the teachers, for starting the year off right, starting the year off on the right foot. It's this. Send the teacher a handwritten note. Mm -hmm. Now, if you see something coming home from your, from your child, something they're working on, you like it, or um, you, you like the child's teacher, send a handwritten note. I'll tell you a story. I was talking to a neighbor not too long ago. It's, it's actually in the book. Um, and she was raving about her child's second grade teacher. She just mm -hmm. loved this teacher. And I said, did you tell her? And she froze and she said, I'm so embarrassed. I didn't even think about it. I said, no problem. I said, no problem. But send the handwritten note. Don't email it. That's too easy. S send the handwritten note. And I guarantee this child's teacher will appreciate it. So I saw her a few days later and she said, oh my gosh, I did exactly what you said. And the teacher said it made her day. I said, great. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you something. I, as you know, taught for 33 years elementary. I have mm -hmm. every handwritten note sent to me. It's that important. I, it that's funny. That I do too. <laughs> I have taught, ah. yeah, for, I've taught for 30 years on and off. Well, almost, yeah, for 30 years in college, I have every handwritten note going back to when I started in the nineties. There you go. Yep. You're it's absolutely that important right. to us. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely that important to us. And it's so unusual, especially nowadays, people, a lot of people don't write handwritten notes anymore. So it's even more special than it was 20 years ago. So, um, and, and to be honest, a lot of parents don't even think of it. It's not that they're unwilling. I think parents are terrific. Most parents, you know, they send in the birthday cupcakes, they drive on the field trips. Most parents are great. You know, you, you always get some doozies, always, sure. even the veterans. But um, it's something that parents a lot of parents don't even think of. So um, I've been told countless times, you know, oh my gosh, thanks for just pointing that out. It's a no brainer, but I just didn't think of it. So two ways to 
really get the year off to a great start. Handwritten note and a back to school night, go up to the teacher and say something positive. I appreciate that, Mr. Don. Thank you. Well, this, you know, like you said, the podcast, a lot of our members, teachers hear it, but also there are um, individuals who are parents that listen as well. So I'm hoping that that resonates with them and that they take your advice because I think it's it's very good advice. So thank you. Great. But Mr. Doan, I appreciate you taking the time today. This has been uh, really helpful to me. I think it's the kind of advice and the kind of uh, information that our members want to hear and need to hear really when uh, things are getting started for a new school year. Um, you can find Philip Doan's book, The Art of Teaching Children. It's it's out. It's everywhere. Um, it's uh, it's worth your time to read. So, Mr. Doan, thank you again for for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. So look for new episodes of MSTA Presents in the coming weeks. And I hope everyone has gotten off to a great school year. And uh, if there's ever anything MSTA can do for you, please let us know. Thank you.